so welcome back to another episode of but where are you from we're a podcast by a nearly 30 something millennial learning about life as a british born chinese i'm viv the host of the podcast and in this series we talk about life as a british born chinese person from family life to work dating relationships food racism and general culture hopefully this is an upbeat relatable podcast to those who are a british born minority or otherwise we are all inclusive here at But Where Are You From? If you have any questions, please drop me a message. I'm at Viv the Div. And I am so excited to be putting out this podcast because I just had the most amazing chat with Tori Choi. She is a climate activist. Don't want to get the name of her title wrong. And her story is honestly incredible. She grew up in Hong Kong, but she also moved around and lived in Australia before a bit and visited England. And now she lives in Bristol in England and she sailed all over the world. She's worked with Stella McCartney. She talks so eloquently about things like global activism, uh, cli- sorry, climate change. See, I don't even know what it's called. Climate activism, climate activism, as well as racism, feminism, and the way she speaks honestly i could listen to her for hours if you look at our zoom recording i'm just engrossed with my mouth open like huh? the entire time because the way she puts across things she does it in a way that's so articulate and clever but also very simply too if that makes sense so really 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 great episode i felt buzzing after recording that because honestly she has just brought in a new perspective into the podcast, one that I couldn't really do by myself. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you have any questions, please do drop me a message. I'm at Viv the Div, or you can follow Tori. She is T-O-R-I-T-S-U-I underscore on Instagram. Thank you. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and uh, telling everyone kind of like who you are and if you can summarize yourself in a, in a few <laughs> words. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Tori Choi and I would consider myself a climate activist, mental health advocate, somebody who mm. talks about inclusivity and diversity as well. And somebody who's really not very organized at the moment clearly I'm so <laughs> scatterbrained at the moment it's it's a yeah. busy period of time for me despite the fact that we're in lockdown no, and it's a pandemic yeah. life somehow manages to find itself yeah uh, quite busy which is intriguing yeah and yeah so I think the main thing that I tend to talk about is how six months ago I set sail from Amsterdam Mm. and sailed across the Atlantic Ocean as part of a climate think tank. Mm. And we were supposed to go to the UN Climate Conference in Chile, Mm. but halfway across the Atlantic Ocean, we found out that the conference had been moved to Spain. Right, so I I read about this and I was like, Mm -hmm. but why would they do that? Like how and why? Why would they just change it? That's a good question. There was a lot of civil unrest in Chile right. and there are lots of protests going on. Okay. And there was a big concern about the safety of mm. having the UN conference there. I mean, a lot of people were saying that if the conference took place, it would be boycotted and protested and all of these things. So mm. the UN made the executive decision to change it and move it to Madrid within the space of like a week. My so. Gosh. Yeah, we were on one of our stops. We stopped in Cape Verde to sort of stock up on different supplies and 
Mm. you know, just take some time out from the last leg of sailing. And we'd heard that the COP had been cancelled, but we didn't know where it was going to be moved to. Mm. So we had to plan according to possibilities. And actually, Spain wasn't even on the cards. We'd heard rumours about Costa Rica, Mm. about Bonn in Germany. Uh, We'd even heard rumours about it still happening in Chile. Mm. So... You know, we planned according to that, but then that happened. We didn't have enough time to get back to Spain, so we sailed on and worked remotely in the Caribbean for two weeks. Yeah. Um, And then after that, we ended our journey in Cartagena in Colombia, Mm. and I lived in Colombia for three months, working on a project that was going to take Latin American, Indigenous, and Caribbean youth back to Europe with us on the sailboat, Mm. and we would attend the UN climate conference in Germany. Mm. So that's kind of like, I guess, yeah. one of the the major yeah. things that my climate career has it's kind of pretty major. And I think we'll get into that, certainly. We're going to go take it back to the beginnings. I think we want to yeah. dedicate some time to talking about that. I want to talk about kind mm. of your your ethnic background growing up, because I know yeah. you, you kind of, you grew up in Hong Kong, but then you lived in Australia and England. Is that is that right? So you kind of moved yeah. all over. So kind of talk about your life growing up, essentially. Oh gosh, it's quite, um, it's like, I guess the epitome of third culture kid. I was born in New Zealand Mm. and my mum used to live in New Zealand as well. I have a lot of relatives that live there. And then my grandparents, they are on my dad's side, they're British, but they lived Mm. in Australia. Mm. And then my family settled in Hong Kong. So my mum grew up in Hong Kong and also lived in New Zealand for a bit. So Mm. I grew up in Hong Kong for the most part moved to Hong Kong after New Zealand and then spent every Christmas with my grandparents in Australia. Mm. And then my mum's brothers and sisters also lived in Australia, but in a different part. Mm. And my dad is British, he's Welsh and English, Mm. and his family split their time between Australia during the Christmas time and then um, the UK during the summertime. So I'd go to the UK during the summer. Wow, yeah. And yeah, growing up as well, there was like, a really big sort of cultural confusion, mm. I could say, I, I would say. And yeah. my mum is, her mum is Cantonese and Macanese, so okay. from yeah. Macau, uh, Portuguese colony, so my great-grandmother's Portuguese. Mm. And then her dad is Taiwanese, mm. so I spent some time in Taiwan as well. Yeah. And moved to the UK for my studies, and yeah, after that I decided I wanted to live here and kind of getting used to living in the UK after having lived in Hong Kong for 17 years or so was mm. pretty interesting. So so in terms of languages then, what languages can you speak? So I speak English first and foremost, but actually yeah. my native like mother tongue was technically Cantonese. Yeah. Um, and my Cantonese is honestly terrible because mm. in part, basically growing up, I started speaking it with my mum and then in school, I went to a Western school and yeah. they literally said, you're not allowed to speak Cantonese. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. It was what terrible. What the fuck? Yeah. I went to, um, I mean, it was an international school, but like yeah. a British international school. Mm. And I really distinctly remember some um, teachers telling off students in the corridor for speaking anything other than English. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. That's and, mental. Um. Yeah. I think that fear also perpetuated with my mum where she was like well I don't want you to be confused by 
speaking Cantonese and English and mm. it, she kind of like almost stopped speaking it with me for fear that my English wouldn't flourish and that I would be, mm. you know, stifled by that. Yeah. I learned Mandarin in school, but again, it's it what's the point of learning a language if you're not allowed to speak it, you know? Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they would allow you to speak it in the classroom and practice it and then after that they wouldn't let you yeah. speak it in the corridors, which is so silly. Yeah. Um and I speak French as well. Mm. Um I learned French a bit in school, but actually I went to a French school for the first few years of my life in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, Hong Kong has a lot of different schools yeah. that are, you know, like international schools, British schools, yeah. French schools, Swiss schools, German schools, etc. So, yeah, I went to a French school for the mm. first few years of my life. Mm. Um, and then living in Colombia, I have non-existent Spanish, which is really funny. <laughs> but, you know, I'm picking up a few things here and there. So... Okay, yeah. cool. So so how how would you say your Cantonese is now then? Um, because obviously mm. not being able to speak it whilst living in Hong Kong, that is just... So outside of school then, did you speak yeah. it to kind of when you were out and about or with, with friends and mm. family? Yeah, so I would use very like rudimentary Cantonese when I was out and about. Most people yeah. speak English in Hong Kong. Yeah. My mum and I wouldn't actually communicate in Cantonese that much she would always respond to me in English mm. which was quite interesting and then most of the time if she would speak to me in Cantonese it would just be like a statement it wouldn't really be like a yeah. you know back and forth conversation yeah and I posted this really <laughs> like interesting meme the other day which is like bilingual and trilingual people flexing that they can speak the language but in reality they actually sound like a third grader <laughs> I've, I've seen that yeah because I can, I can totally relate to that because that is yeah. me I, I can't I can speak Cantonese to like a very colloquial mm. level and yeah. it was definitely my mother tongue too but growing up in, in England it was obviously like English just yeah. overtook and yeah. then um it's just got to that stage now where my Chinese mates take the mick out of me or my, my yeah. mum's relatives take the mick out of me for trying to speak Cantonese. But I try, try mm. my hardest, I try my hardest, but there's just yeah. a big gap it's in terms of kind of what I can say. Language. It it's is a complicated really hard language. language. I think, yeah. you know, as well, like there's a lot of people homogenize Chinese languages and they're just like, do you speak Chinese? I'm like, yeah. which one? What, which one? Yeah. What dialect? Like where? Hakka, Macanese, yeah. um... Taiwanese, but, yeah. Yeah, but also it's like even Cantonese in mm. Guangdong, they have different, mm. you know, sort of like inflections and dialects and stuff. Yeah. And I just feel like people homogenize the Chinese language so much. And like mm. as a result of that, they're just, there doesn't seem to be much um, fostering of that diversity and that importance of languages mm. from that region of the world. And I definitely find that like being in the UK. Yeah. I, I don't really have any Cantonese friends mm. in Bristol. Like, mm. I don't know anybody who is Cantonese within my, like, radius. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it feels really weird because this is a huge chunk of my identity and my yeah. life. And, yeah, it's it's really perplexing. There's yeah. not the access to practice Cantonese or to, like, connect to the culture that much. Yeah. I'm not even joking. Like, for me, I literally... I think the only time I speak any form of Cantonese or Putonghua is when I go into the Asian supermarket. Yeah. And then, like, I I just basically, like, started speaking Cantonese. And then someone went, Shama? And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, they respond back to you yeah. Mandarin. 
Yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> People do that to me as well because yeah. they think that I'm I'm uh, from China or from mainland China or can speak mm. Mandarin, and I'm like, no. I don't know any Mandarin. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're saying. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I totally, exactly. I totally sympathise with that because growing up myself, my friends were predominantly white, and then it was mm. only the last year that I got introduced through a colleague at work to a group of Chi- British-born Chinese friends, and yeah. instantly we clicked because you don't have to explain your culture, you don't have to talk about the nuances of right. being Chinese and growing up very similarly, um, and. I didn't realise that I was missing it until I became part Mm. of this group. And actually it's, yeah, it's been really enriching and really nice to be mates with people who just get it without having to be like, oh, well, you know, my parents, like, they don't really say they love you, but it's not weird because it's like a Chinese thing and you don't have to explain those types of things. Um, Yeah, so I I totally understand where you're coming from with that. We're actually Mm -hmm. going to do, so we'll have a segment. I don't know whether I can play the music, but it's called How Asian Are You? And it's basically, I don't know whether it's casually racist or not, but we're just going to (laughs) roll with it. Um, And can I play it, actually? I don't know whether you'll be able to hear. Um, And I basically ask you a few questions that are Mm. stereotypically Chinese, and then you get a point for every single... um, question that you're able to answer yes to it's really silly i just came up with it one day in the shower i think um how asian are you can you hear this i can indeed yeah i think your mic has been unplugged though oh god damn it i'm trying to play i'll try to play you the jingle don't worry actually Okay. Basically, I'll sing it for you. It goes, "How Asian are you?" <laughs> oh my god! My, my ex-boyfriend who created the jingle, he's a musician. Yeah. And um, yeah. he's. You'll have to actually listen to it because it is incredible. Um, very much. Like and you. and way better than what I just sang. <laughs> right. Love so, okay. So, first question. There's six, five questions in total. Did yep. you eat Chinese food during Christmas time? During Christmas time, no, no. Mm, what would no. what would you have? Because I guess if you grew, if did you go to you say you went to your grandparents and Australia yeah. during Christmas? So yeah. So we would generally just eat like traditional roast and mm. stuff. And my mum was actually really into cooking Christmas meals. Like she would make very traditional food, and yeah. she was obsessed with making Yorkshire puddings. Really? Like, oh yeah. My nice. mum made the best Yorkshire puddings of like anyone i've ever really are they like the big puffy ones that get really big they were so good oh my god i love them yeah 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 so my mum was like the best yorkshire pudding baker (laughs) ever come across which is just funny because she's like Mm. super super cantonese and like not very culturally western at all yeah but had a thing for yorkshire pudding (laughs) yeah so we i guess they're similar to like gay and a in a way aren't they mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like that batter yeah yeah she's very she's very like good at cooking in general yeah like both cantonese food and also western food so i just feel like you know she was 
she was doing her thing oh nice yeah so we had like up until when me and my sisters i've got two sisters i've got a twin sister and an Mm. older sister up until Mm. we started being able to cook around like the age of 16 we started cooking traditional christmas dinners but before that we'd have like lobster and like just random chinese you know like really good seafood and stuff during christmas time i think my friends always found it really weird but it's because my parents just didn't know they weren't well they didn't not know they just wouldn't think to cook a traditional roast um it's interesting yeah it's really really interesting but the thing is like i guess kind of the other thing that i can kind of comment about in terms of christmas is my family didn't really celebrate it consistently it Mm. was kind of like done like a bit half-assed i would say that my dad was always working and he was so busy and then my mum was just like well this is a western holiday and yeah. like if i'm required to cook something i'm gonna cook something but it's really not a big deal right so christmases were really inconsistent growing up so how do you feel about it now are you, you do you like christmas are you a big like fan of it um yeah i actually really really like christmas there's um an element of like community that i really like and i do actually have i'm like a real sucker for this sort of traditional english christmas mm. but i would also say that like I feel as though my love for Christmas is in part because I didn't really have a very like consistent or wholesome Mm. Christmas every year. It was like, yeah, we're kind of going to celebrate, but we really don't care about this. Yeah, Yeah. I see exactly what you mean. Like my, yeah, my family, like we'd obviously celebrate Christmas, but you know, like some, some Western families have like a tradition every single year mm. they do something at christmas time we never yeah. we never had that growing up it yeah. was always just like yeah. different just depending on yeah. how we felt kind of thing so true so true for me mm. yeah second question have your parents ever said i love you oh my god <laughs> <laughs> is this a, is this a deep question I think they probably only said it like once mm. or twice. I mean, you know, bearing in mind my dad is British. Right. Yeah. Uh, he is actually very culturally Cantonese. Is he? And is he very? He he speaks fluent Cantonese as well. Wow. Like, he does not. Con- he renounces British citizenship. Like he's very right. full and full Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, really, really in tune with Chinese culture. That mm. yeah, they don't really express their emotions. Mm at all Mm. um and i think they probably only said it like once maybe even twice that's crazy yeah yeah Yeah, i think it's similar to my my dad so my dad passed away like a few years ago but so Mm. and it was only up until like we knew that he was ill he was ill for like 10 years like he started saying it a bit more but before that would never ever say it and like we'd be like dad love you and he'd be like okay (laughs) you know he just (laughs) he just take it awkwardly um but it's kind of like an unspoken thing that they they do and they they Mm. express it in very different ways like really do like giving you fruit or something or uh Mm -hmm. doing things for you acts of service i'd i'd say yeah i think my mum has probably sent me over 50 masks oh from hong kong in the mail yeah yeah yeah. she's like always sending me masks and like that is her way of showing love yeah yeah and i guess probably the Mm. only way she can if you're so far away as well yeah definitely um third question so okay so we can answer yes to that actually you get a point for Mm. that yeah (laughs) do do your parents ever have your parents ever called you ugly or like taoguai yeah yes (laughs) that's so mean isn't it also fei fei as well (laughs) (laughs) see my mum kind of like she's adopted a lot of the western traits now it's kind of gone the other way like with 
from your dad to with my mum because mm. she's been over here for like over since she was 18 years old and she's wow into 50s now she has expressed she has learned to express herself in ways that western mm. people would do so she she has yeah. said now that she's proud of me quite a few times and she's oh, quite open so and cute. liberal um yeah and like the other day have you seen i don't know whether you're on tiktok at all but there's this trend yes. going around where people are going oh i'm so ugly so i did that to my mum the other day just yeah. to see what she was saying she was like what are you talking about? You're you're pretty. You're smart. Oh. You're clever. And I was like, whoa! I didn't expect any oh of this. Oh gosh! Because you know, like I thought she was gonna be like, yeah, you are. I agree. <laughs> oh my god! But I yeah. I can just already imagine what my mum would say. She'd be just like, oh, stop complaining all the time. <laughs> time out. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. 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 That's what I thought she'd say, but I was like pleasantly surprised. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so it's funny. Yeah, <laughs> this this might be quite an interesting question because obviously you grew up in an international school. Have you ever mm. been called a racist name at school? Yes, you have. Yes. even in mm-hmm. an international school. Yeah, yeah, that is messed up, isn't it? Yeah, it is, mm. and it's funny because it kind of goes both ways in yeah. many respects. Like, obviously, there'd be people who kind of throw around the word chink mm. and like. I've even been called that in a workplace environment. Seriously? Yeah, it was awful. What kind of Um, workplace? I know, it was terrible. I swiftly left that job. Did you go to HR? I did, and they didn't didn't do anything about it. Joking. (laughs) Yeah, so I was like, bye. Yeah, fair enough, don't blame Um, you. And, but also, like, there was actually a lot of, like, I don't know how to describe it. I was kind of in an in-between. A lot of my friends were Cantonese, but then also a lot of my friends were Western. Mm. And the Western people in my international school tended to congregate together. And like, mm. Mm, I would go so far as to say that people were really like, they would stereotype them and be like, oh, they're not as hardworking. They're not as intelligent and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I would basically be, be called like Guaymoy as well. Like people would consider me more white than Cantonese because yeah. I had Western friends. Yeah. And I was pretty academic in school. I would say that part of it is owed to my parents. Yeah. Um, and I worked hard. And I remember when I like made it into top set science, like mm. there was a girl who was like, oh, she definitely cheated. Like she hangs out with all those guaylos. Like she's what? not intelligent. She's not smart. And like... It was yeah. just hilarious because I ended up just like doing really, really well in yeah. all of my exams yeah. as well. And yeah. Yeah, it, and it's like, it's yeah, just... bitch, explain that. Yeah. <laughs> How did I cheat there? Yeah, it's it's funny. And um, I just feel like there's a lot of, um, there was a lot of racism on both fronts, mm. you know? Like I was kind of not really seen as Cantonese and not really mm. seen as white either. So That must be so difficult. Do, do you think it can go both ways in the sense that like um, racism can extend to, this is a really, really like mm. complex topic. So I yeah. don't know how it can be answered, but racism can, can go both ways in that sense. So you can be That's racist true. towards white people it's, in the it's same really way. Interesting. Yeah, so it's funny that I said that people were being racist towards me for being white mm. i wouldn't actually go so far as to say they were being racist to me mm. in the in terms of it being to do with like strictly being white i would just say as being mixed yeah it was more like against my eurasian mm. mix as opposed to me just being, being white. white yeah yeah, yeah. um i would say that generally speaking though you can't 
exactly be racist towards a white person with the same repercussions because of like how mm. the system favors whiteness yeah. in many ways. Yeah. So if you were to say something that, you know, is derogatory towards a white person, it wouldn't necessarily have the same repercussions like societally if you're discriminated against for being a person of color. Mm. Like that carries with it a lot of systematic issues as well that are ingrained in like employment levels mm. in terms of access to education in terms of like access to high paying jobs and all of these different things mm. so when people claim reverse racism i'm very like mm. uh, it's, yeah. it's something that i'm like uh. yeah <laughs> uh, that exactly that, su- that sums up exactly how i feel and yeah. you've, you've put it really articulately and i've always i've always tried to get that across in terms of when mm. I've had discussions about racism with my white friends and then my yeah. white friends come back with well you know I've been called you know I've been stereotyped for being blonde hair blue eyed that's racist or I've been stereotyped for being oh, from gosh. a certain region of the UK like mm. being northern living in a southern part of the UK and I'm like but it's different but I never know how to articulate it yeah. but it is it is the systematic racism that comes with being a person of color that white people just don't have to deal with but it's yeah i find it really hard to articulate really difficult so it's it's it is yeah it's a really hard thing to articulate and Mm. i think also we have to remember that like whiteness and white culture is seen as the sort of like four and predominant culture that exists and anything Mm. that is like a deviation from that is kind of seen as like otherness Mm. and I think for myself in the UK, there are definitely some traits and behavioral and cultural traits of mine that are very intrinsically linked to growing up as a as a mixed woman that I think people would just honestly write off as being like strange or mm. not relevant because there is this like homogenization towards being white. Mm. You know, I, I definitely see that more these days than previously. Yeah. That's really, yeah, that's really interesting. So this was meant to be quick fire questions and this has turned into the whole <laughs> podcast, but it's honestly so, so interesting. So interesting. Yeah. Um, and well, I guess the last joke kind of feeds into what we've, sorry, the last question kind mm. of feeds into what we've been talking mm. about. So has someone ever made a casually racist joke towards you and, and how yes. have you dealt with that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm. So I am going to be really honest in that. I think I wrote off a lot of, racist jokes and a lot of racist behavior Mm. in the past because I didn't really know where I sat in terms of my identity I had always Mm. kind of associated myself as being like rightly so I was influenced by people who were referring to me as Kwaimoy and stuff like this so I was just like well I guess I'm more western than I am Cantonese Mm. and so it meant that when people were saying racially stereotyped jokes at me or Mm. stuff then I would just kind of go like, ha, they're not really being serious, but who am I? Am I white? What's going on? I'm so confused. And I would just go like, ha, 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 and just not really know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now I have a lot more awareness and I'm like, actually, so much of that was really, really wrong. Mm. And I think just to make myself feel more comfortable and make my friends feel more comfortable or like other people feel more comfortable, I would just like ignore it a oh lot my of the God. time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And like... I've noticed a lot and reflected on this quite a bit that so much of the stereotypes and the racism that I've experienced has been really like just a huge erasure of Asian culture altogether because people make sort of culturally stereotyped jokes 
around different Asian cultures that I'm not even a part of. Mm. Like people call me ninja and like be like, where are your nunchucks? Or like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Just and in my then, wardrobe, I'll get them out if yeah, you want. <laughs> yeah, and then people just making like terrible. weird sort of jokes about having a nail salon and being Vietnamese. I'm yeah. like, I'm not Vietnamese, man. Yeah. Like, first of all, that's racist. Secondly, yeah. I'm not Vietnamese. So what yeah. are you doing? Um, and yeah, and before I just used to be like, oh my God, people are so ignorant and mm. like just kind of laugh it off. But now I'm like, this is a problem. This <laughs> like, is a problem. This is a problem. And I think it's great that you speak out about it. And even on your mm. socials, I know that you've spoken about it before and you've written things about your kind of your cultural identity. Yeah. And I, it's something that I, same with me, I used to mm. write it off and just and laugh it off and almost join in with the yeah. you know and, oh and play gosh, on it completely. um yeah. and I, looking back I'm ashamed of the fact that I did that because mm. now I feel like the more I appreciate and identify with my own with being Chinese the more I'm like no that's not okay we can't yeah. we can't do that it's oh uh, it shouldn't be accepted either um yeah completely relate but then it's hard to also come across as being like to, to not do it in a way where you seem angry and you seem mm. kind of like you're taking things offensively. People always say like, oh, you're being too sensitive about it. Yeah, but it's, yeah, I I have something to kind of comment on that, which mm. is when I was reading why I no longer talk to white people about race. Mm. Yeah. There was this um, part where the writer describes this sort of like discomfort that you feel where it's like, this is so wrong. Mm. But I also just feel like this, almost this pit in my stomach trying to like, find the words to express this without being stereotyped in a certain way yeah being an angry black woman yeah and it's just yeah. like yeah the more i realize that that is actually just like white accommodating in many ways mm. if we are to speak out about something that is uncomfortable to us and is intrinsically very racist but white people go oh you're just being too sensitive it's like literally catering and kowtowing to white people so that they don't have to sit with the discomfort of unlearning whereas mm. as a as a woman of color i feel like a lot of people who are women of color have to sit with the discomfort of being racially profiled about mm. you know being racially stereotyped and that's a discomfort we live with for life yeah. so you know why is it such a huge deal for a white person to go through a moment yeah. of discomfort to undo some like really toxic yeah racist traits i i so, really agree and i took away a lot from that mm. book myself in fact i think because i think that book was quite polarizing in a lot of ways mm. uh, especially if a white person was reading it i think you yeah. had very different views but it almost made me i think it had a weird effect on me where it made me feel really angry for a while yeah it almost enabled me to feel angry about it but then because of that i couldn't articulate myself because i would just get so mm. defensive yeah you know do you know what i mean i don't know whether that's mm. what you took you took away from that book but i just felt like everyone was is against me everyone's racist yeah, you know yeah. whereas yeah. i think i think when you look at kind of the author and the it was her kind of dis self-discovery because she she identified with a lot of things that we said and the fact that she didn't really think about race until she got a bit older and started yeah. researching into herself so I think taking that into account that if this was her first foray into really delving into the yeah. topic of racism, it is kind of charged with that kind of um, anger. Um, but mm -hmm. then also I feel mm -hmm. like it's almost kind of needed as well. Like for, for us yeah. to create some 
change there has to be a bit of chaos and a a bit of passion behind it Mm. otherwise our words just get lost in the ether don't they yeah and you know what's really um really sad as i was thinking about this where i do i do agree with you reading these sorts of works definitely Mm. riles me up and makes me feel angry and like sometimes Mm. it can be more difficult to communicate your point when you're angry Mm. but i also realized that like there is something about the fact that I'm mixed, which means that me speaking out about these things Mm. is more palatable to white people. Mm. And that is really troubling. Mm. Like I realized that if my Cantonese friends wanted to speak out about something, Mm. they would not be as well received as someone like me because I'm kind of like, I've got this like leg in one door because I'm kind of white as well. Yeah. the same thing is notice when you see people who are not as black or people who Mm. are not as like culturally you know within one sort of marginalized group Mm. it is a lot more accessible for white people and that is a huge problem Mm. and as a result of that it makes me 10 times more likely to want to speak out because i just feel like Mm. if i've got this position of privilege yeah then like it needs to be said and I don't care if people think I'm like an angry half Chinese girl. Like I'm just going to say it and I'm not going to yeah. be apologetic about it. I love that. So. I need to, I need to take some of that because I think I'm just mm. in my, my very infancy, like infant stages of, of talking mm. about it. Um, and I wish I could speak as eloquently as you about it. Um, I, I also think it's a process, you know, like, mm coming to terms with a lot of this is like opening Pandora's box. Once you open it, you see yeah. everything. Literally, you do. You see it yeah. everywhere. And it's like, that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. And it's exhausting. It's mm. mentally and physically exhausting. And you also have to remember to take care of yourself. And like, mm. I know that so much of our identity is hinged on these conversations and, and mm. these battles almost. But if we try and take everything on all at once it can just hinder our ability to be the best like allies to our communities and Mm. also to speak out about these things absolutely so i i think you know like it comes in waves right now in a podcast setting with obviously a fellow woman of color and someone who (laughs) identifies as chinese i can be Mm. like yes like we deserve to speak about this Mm. but if i'm in a room full of white people especially like white men yeah i will probably be like <laughs> you know yeah no i agree mm. um th- this is a safe space for us all right now yeah yeah it's a safe space so it's interesting you talked about mental health and i know that's something that you mm. you like you talk about a lot on your socials yeah. so how talking kind of mixing this in with um the work that you've done for yeah. um global like climate activism um yeah how has that played into it so how did you look after mm. your mental health whilst you were on a boat for three months was it oh my gosh when you sailed to the cop <laughs> yeah yeah so it's really interesting that we're talking about it in conjunction with climate stuff because they're mm. so interlinked but i also think culturally as well i've like broken free of the reins of like mm. chinese culture in many ways because mm. like my mum really didn't understand the concept of mental health and like really yeah. didn't um accept it in many ways but also it could be a generational thing so it's like cultural and generational yeah so for me you know like I'm very outspoken in part because as soon as I share just the tiniest amount about my mental health within Mm. my family it was not well received and so I felt like okay if the smallest thing's not well received then I'm just I have nothing to lose I'm just gonna be like really open Mm. so 
love that i started yeah <laughs> i started becoming more open in relation to the climate crisis as well because you know my background is in sciences and i did like ecology and conservation for my master's so wow don't even really... know what that means but that sounds good well like just basically you know uh anything to do with biodiversity and environmental sciences like it was part of what I'd studied Mm. and so I was already really worried about the planet and like that affected my mental health Mm. um and like kind of the pressure of going on this sailboat knowing that the environmental meaning of why we were sailing across the ocean and like just what was happening to our planet was really really weighing down on me but also I'm Mm. somebody who I would consider myself a really sensitive person and like being on a boat with 40 41 people yeah was really exhausting and like my mental health wasn't great at all Mm. it was it was far from great it was actually really bad on the boat and when I got off the boat that's when I noticed a massive improvement really yeah yeah being on a boat like with no connection to the outside world living with 41 other people is pretty exhausting and how did Uh, you manage to get your alone time and and space to just recharge and and be do you feel do you feel like you identify with being more introverted versus extroverted or are you mixed i'm definitely an extroverted person Mm. but like as a result of my mental health Mm. so much of what i need is actually a bit of uh, alone time and i didn't have any alone time (laughs) <laughs> so did you share a cabin with some with other people in the same room yeah yeah there was no uh, like this the, there was no space so the only time that you get alone is when you're having a poo or Basically, having a shower yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but even so you're not alone because like the the um the walls of the bathroom they have like yeah. this little slit in it so you can hear people uh, talking and there's someone in the next yeah. cubicle you know so like yeah yeah there was no alone time did you did you ever have bouts of feeling like you know questioning why you were doing it at all at that stage when you were on on the boat it's funny because like there were moments of should I go home because my Mm. mental health isn't good and I got Mm. really sick as well oh no and yeah I got tonsillitis shit yeah it was really really bad like Mm. I was out for nearly two weeks Oh my gosh. Uh, and it, it like induced delirium as well because I was taking loads of painkillers because it was just yeah. unbearable. I wasn't sleeping. Um, yeah. I'd also had a lot of seasickness. So I took a seasickness medication. Mm. Um, but then I actually realized it wasn't seasickness. It was like the nausea from my illness. And so right. I was just like on all these drugs and I was not good. I was yeah. I was literally seeing things. It was bad. Um, oh my God yeah it was it was a great time but (laughs) but you know like there were moments where I was like should I go home it wasn't actually more to do with the project it was like should I go home for my health Mm. um and I decided to stay on and I'm I'm glad I did Mm. I saw it through but Mm. if I would sail again I I'm not sure I would let's put it that way like it was hard it was really really hard wow yeah, mm. no, I can imagine even just being stuck in a boat, but having tonsillitis, suffering yeah. with kind of your, your mental health being impacted mm. and not having any form of escapism or anything. Yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah, I can't even imagine a it. A lot of insomnia as well. Wow, like, we really? We didn't sleep. Yeah, I didn't, I basically didn't sleep for the best mm. part of three months. Like you'd sleep, but it wouldn't really be yeah. sleep. Did, did it help talking to other people about it? Was Were you open with the fact that you were suffering? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah big time I I kind of had to I was really Mm. not in a good way and like Mm. you know I 
had also just experienced a lot of emotional external hardships that were like lots of things were going on in my life outside the confines of the boat but then also being distant from those things was very Mm. confusing because it's like these things are happening but Mm. I'm in the middle of the ocean so they might not be happening but they are happening are you talking is this dating sense or is this away from that yeah no it's just like death and and illness as well yeah yeah so like yeah processing that was really difficult um yeah and yeah i just kind of got to columbia and you know it's funny because a lot of these things were really troubling and definitely required me to take a lot of time to myself Mm. um maybe even going home but as soon as i set foot onto Mm. colombian land i was like i was good like i was really happy it, what, it what do you think like, that was just just being off the confines of a of a mm-hmm. boat yeah going back to normal life yeah. to some degree like i say normal it's not normal at all like traveling <laughs> for most people is exhausting but yeah to know that i could go sit in a coffee shop i could go have whatever food i wanted yeah. i could go to sleep and not be moving and not fear of falling out of my bed <laughs> yeah, Shit, yeah. Know, like yeah like this honestly the simple things in life and if there's anything yeah. that sailing has taught me it's made me appreciate so much yeah in terms of like the simple comforts and it's actually made me really appreciate how like it's not humid in the uk <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can't yeah. deal with that but you yeah. grew up in hong kong but i guess you know there's aircon and stuff mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah yeah aircon is like a godsend <laughs> Wow. Well, I mean, I also want to talk about, um, so you did the Stella McCartney campaign. Was that first? Yeah. Be- before you sailed to the COP, you did the Stella McCartney yeah. campaign. How yeah. did that come about? How how did they find you? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's incredible. What were you doing before that? Did you ever think mm-hmm. like get to work with Stella McCartney? It's incredible. It's funny because growing up in Hong Kong, I know that like there are a lot of luxury brands Mm. and I was really, really passionate about animal rights and really wanted to buy like a new wallet that wasn't made out of leather, for instance. Mm. And Stella was somebody that made like vegan leather wallets, like her whole brand is all about environmentalism and animal rights. And so I was always a huge fan of Stella McCartney Mm. and I really admired her family and what her mum stood for as well. And so it felt like some weird full circle moment when I got to be asked to be part of this campaign because Stella is someone that I've admired for a really long time. It's incredible. And um, it started when one of my friends who manages the Extinction Rebellion social media page asked me to create some content about the impact of the climate crisis on Mm. biodiversity loss. And so I recorded myself doing this video and then they posted it on the Extinction Rebellion page and... um, I got a message from Stella's creative director saying, hey, we're doing this campaign. Would you like to be part of it? And I was like, yeah, sure. What's going on? Oh, my God. Um, And they asked me for like some photos. They also, um, what else did they say? Oh, yeah, they asked what I did with with my time in environmentalism and all of this stuff. And I was like, "Okay, Mm. just send this email. Didn't think much of it. And then I was in uh, London for the Extinction Rebellion Spring Uprising protest and Stella's creative directors found me in the streets there and they were like, are you Tory? Um, And yeah, yeah, they took some more photos, asked me a few more questions. And then the next day I was on my way to the Brecon Beacons to film this campaign. Yeah. And um, I didn't realise how big it was going to be. I just thought it was like, share this thing on Instagram, blah, Mm. blah, blah. Mm. And turns out it was her fall and winter campaign 
Oh my god. Yeah. Pretty big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there was Amber Valletta there and like, you know, Stella was there as well. Wow. It was really cool hanging out with her. She's a really, really nice person. Mm. And um and kind of from that, you know, the campaign blew up and uh, I started asking to be involved with more things and then I got this invitation to be part of Sail to the Cop and I asked Stella if she'd sponsor me and she mm. said yes and Amazing. we worked together on that and it was really cool um, and yeah they've they've done a fantastic job to support me despite the Brilliant. you know the, the plans changing and things yeah. being quite a mess um, and then just before I left for Sail to the Cops Stella invited me to Paris Fashion Week to mm. be part of this round table of environmentalists and fashion designers mm. who are talking about how the fashion industry can be more ethical. Mm. Um, and there were some really interesting people who were in the room. Mm. <laughs> um, and like, then we went to her show and her dad was there and Ellie Oh Golden my God, was, was he? Yeah, and Maisie Williams. Amazing. Like, I was just surrounded <gasps> by all of these people. I'm like, yeah. I've seen you on TV <laughs> before. <laughs> But that you're so actually weird. real. Yeah, it was very <laughs> strange. Um, and it was quite funny because Stella had actually asked me to walk in her show mm. uh, with three or four other activists, but they all couldn't make it to Paris. So we decided to call it off, basically. <gasps> so you didn't get yeah. to walk on the show. Did you no. not go, come on, I can do a one woman show. Yeah. Watch me. <laughs> but it's funny, this year she was actually supposed to have uh, mm. activists walking her her line and her range but because of coronavirus that's obviously been oh, cancelled as well. well next year next year maybe who knows yeah. but you know so how did your family um take it then when you were like i'm working with Stella mccartney the Stella mccartney met a dad how, how did yeah. they feel were they like proud of you, you know i it's funny because i feel like chinese parents don't really say when they're proud so much they're kind of just like that's acceptable like yeah but okay. come on it's Stella mccartney <laughs> Like, I know. Mm, I think they were just like, how much do you get paid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on, how much did you get paid? I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't get paid for the sale mm. to the cop thing because they basically just sponsored, sponsored my it. journey. Yeah. But mm. that sponsorship was a lot. And like, I wow. definitely couldn't have done it without Stella. That's, that's incredible. It's yeah. amazing. And it, it received quite a lot of media attention as well, didn't it? So yeah. you, I think yeah. you mentioned on an interview that it got picked up by Vogue, even the Daily mm. Mail. You know, you, you know yeah. you've made it when the Daily Fail yeah. writes you know, about you. What's hilarious, though, is the Daily Mail had, like, racked up all of these air miles that I'd supposedly flown, but they made them all up. Like Seriously? They said, yeah, it's really funny. They said that I'd been to Antarctica, and I'm like, mate, I fucking wish I've never been to Antarctica <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Oh God! It did you just... speak out about it at the time? I did. I wrote them an email. I was like, "Yo, yeah. like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where did you get all this info from? Yeah, I hadn't. I went to Norway. I didn't go to the Antarctic. Like, oh get God. your poles right. Jeez, <laughs> so that's so funny. But did yeah. it did it bother you, or were you kind of like meh? Like, it's. I think at first I was just kind of like, okay, you know what? If you're gonna write a, about a you know an environmental mm. issue to do with how much people have flown at least get the figures right and mm. they'd said that i'd done all of this traveling within the space of a year and it just like wasn't true and yeah. that was the thing that annoyed me the most it's like yeah. this is just lazy journalism it's not even journalism yeah. like it's just no. 
garb um and i i just don't appreciate people who like bash other people through Mm. the news like that i just yeah i mean there are definitely ways to do it and it just highlights so much of what i stand for in activism which is like Mm. we live in an imperfect world Mm. and so much of it is like criticism of individuals who don't do the best that they can do when in actual fact this system is just rigged from the start for people to be set up to fail Mm. so i feel like i'm that part of my activist journey now where i realize how so much of this is just like down to big corp you know it's something yeah. like 90 percent of the world's carbon emissions are owed to 100 companies wow so, wow yeah. that's insane i mean mm. i, I want to talk a bit about kind of um your podcast as well so you're in you're in the midst of launching a new podcast is it still called bad activists yes i love that yes. why is it called bad activists because it sounds like you're doing pretty well from <laughs> the sounds of things so it's interesting because it relates to the comment that I just made about like how people are held up to these standards Mm. of perfections and Mm. you know being an individual within a system that's really flawed it's impossible to be perfect yeah and even if you're somebody who champions so much to do with environmentalism or feminism or whatnot Mm. other forms of activism you you're gonna stumble and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to not be able to achieve the best of your abilities in part because of the system we live in and so it's Mm. kind of a play on that like we're all bad activists but we're actually like we are great but we are also it's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek way of like pointing out the fact that we are trying to be perfect in an imperfect world yeah i love that i love that when's it gonna launch so hopefully at the end of next week i'm recording another episode on sunday um and yeah once that's all edited we're going to launch and then hopefully do like weekly or you know every two weeks amazing i can't wait i can't wait yeah Uh, so do you have any tips for people who are everyday people like me Mm. who are trying to help combat climate change what little things can we do in our day-to-day lives that can help combat yeah so i know that i spoke a lot about like system change but part of starting this journey is to think about your individual actions because I do feel like so much of that is a really good gateway into becoming more engaged with the climate Mm. conversation Mm. for me I'd say that a large part of um, how I started with environmental activism was I looked at what I ate and I was like okay Mm. I'm gonna stop eating meat now not everyone can do that and not everyone Mm. wants to But like, I just recommend incorporating more vegetables into your diet and like Mm. just looking at more like plant-based alternative meals every so often. Yeah, love it. If that's something that you want to do. Linda McCartney, it's the one. Linda McCartney. Yeah, even my mum, my mum loves Linda McCartney's pies. And oh, that's she, so cute. When I, I went I went vegan for a week, I didn't do very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and honestly, my dad, he blasted me. He was like, you're so marfan, that's so annoying. Yeah, oh my God, and I was that's just like, so my mum. I don't want to eat meat, but oh, yeah. I, I'm quite flexy now. But um, mm, mm. but yeah, Linda McCartney's the best yeah, for that. Linda McCartney's great, and yeah. like things like that, you know, are simple things that you can start to integrate into your life. You don't have to just make a huge diet shift. You can say like, okay, I'm gonna eat. Mm. Like I know that Stella's family champions meat-free Mondays, and like mm. I think that's a really fantastic initiative, and it's working well. And I think that if people can start doing that, then they might be more open open to mm. the idea of like reducing more of their meat intake. Mm. Um, but I think alongside that, just like uh, zero wasting and the plastic-free life is is kind of 
more to do with waste like there is a mm. huge part of it which is due to, to carbon emissions but I would also say that another really good thing that people can do is engage in conversations online. There are so mm. many activist platforms out there and organizations. Mm. And Fridays for Future started something called Fridays for Future Digital Strike, which is every mm. Friday write that down. Yeah. you do a, um, a strike. And one of, the, um, one of the causes that they're championing at the moment is a campaign called Defend the Defenders. And it's all about protecting the defenders of the land. So indigenous mm. people who live in harmony with the land and also yeah. speaking up about the fact that these people are subjugated and oppressed for protecting the earth which is just mm. like to me it's so wrong yeah but obviously to big yeah. corpse they just see them as a nuisance yeah um which is just yeah i just have no words about like yeah. kind of how angry this makes me mm. um and so getting involved with like fridays for future digital or like supporting your local climate activists and like sharing a post and mm. engaging in this conversation is a fantastic way to be part of this mm. yeah this movement yeah, amazing. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Like, you're just so interesting. <laughs> and I've learned so much as well. So thank oh, you so much for you. your time. Where can thank everyone you. find you across, obviously not your house, but, you know, yeah. across social media? <laughs> and where can people look for you? To be fair, if you actually stalk my Instagram and watch my stories enough, you'll probably find out where I live because I'm just like... <laughs> literally filming things outside my house all the time um but yeah instagram is probably the platform that i'm most active on so mm -hmm. you can find me at, at tori choi mm -hmm. um and how do you so spell that because we 100 we yeah, yeah. i pronounced your name wrong when i read it <laughs> which i'm so ashamed to say <laughs> that's okay so it's t-o-r-i-t-s-u-i underscore amazing um and yeah like if you've ever been to Hong Kong before, it's the same Choi, which is in Chim Sa Choi. So like- Oh, oh yeah, oh shit, of course, of course. <laughs> oh, God, I'm gonna tell my mum later. She's gonna be like, you bring shame on the family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then also Choi Wa as well, which is like this uh, yeah. like this fast food Chinese restaurant that ah. I go to. <laughs> ah, amazing. Well, yeah. it's been amazing. Thank you so much. I know you've got you've got a live at three o'clock, so you, mm -hmm. you need to shoot, yeah. but it's been it's been incredible speaking thank to you, you and just learning more about your story. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really thank good. You for having me. And yeah, I I love the name of this podcast because it's <laughs> it's something I've been asked before so many times. And then yeah. I just want to kind of say that like when people are like, where are you from? Where are you yeah. really from? I'm like, yeah. oh, Hong Kong. They go, oh, so what's it like in Japan? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Don't oh my know. God. Yeah. yeah. Everyone seems to think Hong Kong's in Japan. Like, where did that come oh, from? Yeah. I don't know whether people, I don't know whether I'm getting confused, but people say, so whereabouts in China are you from? I'm like, well, I'm not from China. I'm from Hong Kong. Hong Kong, yeah. And we identify quite differently. And they're like, what? It's different. So, and then, mm. yeah. And I feel like I then need to explain that it's different yeah. and why it's different. But it's like, come on, educate yourself. I know. You know, know. Google it. But also, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? It's like, yeah, I'm from Hong Kong, SAR. By the way, you guys mm. colonized us how many years ago? Like, <laughs> surely you should know. <laughs>